Hi there and welcome. This podcast chronicles my travels around the state of Ohio in the year leading up to the 2020 presidential election, interviewing my fellow Buckeye voters, hearing their stories, their hopes and their fears, their worries and concerns, and learning how those things influence how they're thinking politically as we head into another presidential election. My name is Pete Brown, and this is Ohio 2020. Hi again, everyone. This is Pete Brown with This is Ohio. There is now less than one week left before the election, and if you haven't voted yet, please make a plan so that you can vote. Figure out what you got to do. I don't care who you vote for. What's important is that you participate in the process. So do what you can to get out and make your voice heard. Today, I'm glad to be sharing my interview with Joe Warner. Joe is a retired teacher. He grew up on a farm, and he now lives in a rural area just beyond Sunbury, Ohio, which is north of Columbus. Joe was recommended to the project by a good friend and former colleague of mine. And I'll tell you what, I know one of the goals of this project was for me to really get to understand how people's life experiences affect their political thinking. And this interview with Joe is really great in that respect. He walks me through his career and how the things he's done in his life impact how he thinks about the world. Joe's a conservative. He has been for most of his life, but he's not necessarily a Trump supporter. And I think he's had just a fascinating journey in life. I will add that we originally shot our interview with Joe just about one year ago on October 30th, 2019. I've uh, I've reached out to Joe a few times in the past two weeks to try and get together a quick update interview as, as we've done in recent episodes, but we just haven't been able to connect. So Joe, if you're listening, I'm hoping you're doing well and that you and Claudia are safe and healthy and that this pandemic will pass and you can get out and visit more ballparks with your son. Okay, I know you're going to enjoy my interview with Joe Warner. Here it is. Joe Warner, or I go by Joe Warner. I'm 76 years old, and we live in the Sunbury area, about eight miles east of Sunbury. Okay, and what did you do for your career? Well, I ended my career as a seventh grade social studies teacher, teaching basically Ohio government and a little bit of Ohio history, along with world geography. It was a two-semester type deal. Before that, I have, in the school district for 10 years, I taught a class called Occupational Work Adjustment. It was for 14, 15-year-old boys and girls who had the ability to do schoolwork but weren't doing it for some reason. So we did a lot of remedial work. We also took them out into a shop taught them some basic carpentry skills, a little bit of mechanical skills, some did some bricklaying, some welding, various activities. Sure. Trying to get them to say, hey, there's skills out there, take a look at them. And give them a little bit of self-confidence of doing hands-on work. And then trying to tie the two together, like 
you got to cut this log or um, board six and a half inches long. Yeah. So that's teaching math along with right. it. Right. Before that, uh, for five years as a uh, 4-H agent in uh, Mahoning County for two and a half years, and then in Warren County, North Carolina for another two and a half years. Okay. Uh, how long ago did you retire? 2006, so uh, that's 13, 13 years. 13 years. Enjoying retirement? Immensely. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Let's, we're going to go all the way to the beginning. Tell me where you were born. I was born in Newark Hospital. My parents lived in a little town called Appleton, which is, what, about six, seven miles east of here. Okay. And is that where you grew up? And grew up on a farm just outside of Appleton. Dad had a 142-acre uh, dairy farm. One time he had pigs, chicken, and sheep, but they gradually disappeared over the years. Yeah. And did you work on the farm growing up? I worked on the farm and... In fact, I planned on being a farmer until I started college mm -hmm. and started college for something to do. There just wasn't any land available to buy that I could afford at that time. Yeah. And you have a brother, I know. Yes. Do you have other siblings? I have a foster brother who is now deceased. Okay. Okay. What was it like growing up there? Well, work. Yeah. <laughs> Started feeding the chickens when I was about eight. We had an old case tractor, two bottom plows, so to plow 15 acres, it might take three, four days. Yeah. We bailed 3,000 bales of hay and straw during the summer to feed the cattle. Yeah. Use up every morning, 5 6 o'clock, to do the chores. We had to milk the cows again in the evening. Yeah. So farm and growing up is a lot of work, but yeah. yet there was time for fun as well. Where did you go to high school? I went to, well, first eight years I went to Bankton School, which was a four-room schoolhouse. They paid tuition to Johnstown Monroe for their students to go there for high school. Sure. But during my junior year, the school districts consolidated. That was back in 1959. And a lot of consolidations, and the final consolidation did not include Johnstown and what became Northridge School District. Mm -hmm. So since my dad was one of those who had pushed for the consolidation as a senior, I ended up going to what was then Northridge South. Mm -hmm. And that's and you graduated, and then you went to college. Well, I worked the first year at home on the farm, okay. thinking I was going to be a farmer. Right. And then started school part time at uh, college at OSU Newark Branch, and then Vietnam War finally came along, and it was either go full time or get drafted. Right. So I went full time. I got a chance to go to Mexico at the end of my senior year of college. Be stupid to not take advantage yeah. of that. Sure. So, <laughs> so I worked down there for six months, and still no nothing available farming wise. So I became a 4-H agent. Okay. So you, what did you study in college? Agricultural education yeah. with a, a minor in economics. Yeah. And so you started in OSU up here, but did you end up down in Columbus? 
I started in Newark, yes, yeah. and then the last two years I was at Columbus and Main Columbus Branch. Campus. What was it like at that time? Well, I'm not sure your question. Well, what was you, Ohio State like at that, you know, during the Vietnam War and... Hardly knew the war existed at that point in yeah. time. In fact, most people didn't. We knew it was a conflict. It wasn't until my senior year that things began to get serious. They called for a physical for everybody yeah. to have, to see how the manpower was. I had to go through that. People were being drafted as soon as they got, got out of high school, so people were looking for graduate degrees. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of people were trying to avoid it. I don't know anybody that went to Canada, but right. people were joining early so that they could pick somewhat safer jobs. Sure. I got you. Yeah. Now, uh, when you were a young man, you said there was time for fun. What would you do for fun? Played music. Yeah. My family was big into music at the time, so we would do that. Go on dates, of course. Uh, yeah. <laughs> go to movies, yeah. uh, square dances, yeah. those types of things. And you, you told me here that religion has always been important to you. Was it a big part of growing up? Yes. We parents made sure we went to church every Sunday. And you were Methodist, is that uh, right? We grew up as a Methodist, yeah. yeah. Uh, although we went to a Baptist church for a short while because Mom got mad at the Methodist preacher for some reason. <laughs> when he left, we went back. <laughs> I gotcha. Okay, so tell me about Mexico. What was your opportunity there? That was through the 4-H program. They have At that time, they had a uh, program called International 4-H Four Youth, Four Youth Exchange. Okay. The purpose of the program was that if I know you and you know me, then we can be friends and not not be enemies. Right. There was a selection process, and I made it through that selection, and somehow I was assigned to Mexico. So I went down there. You know, Mexico was a little different. Most people lived with families, and mm -hmm. they would live with, during the six months you were in another country, you might live with four to six different families. My program was a little different. They Mexico wanted somebody to come in and work with their extension program, although theirs was a little different uh, than what we have here in the United States. But basically, they would take experts in some field, agronomy, horticulture. One place was beekeeping They'd have a social worker, they'd have a home economist, a whole variety of different people. And they would pick out four or five different communities and spend one day a week in each community mm -hmm. helping them to develop agriculture and living conditions and yeah. such. So I was asked to observe and help in any way I could, but the main thing was to report back to the uh, head office in Mexico City as how could they improve mm -hmm. their education process because uh, what I found is they were excellent specialists in their field, but they knew nothing about teaching. Mm or very little. Yeah. So my recommendation was that you give them some just some basic education yeah. principles. So. Yeah. And did you speak Spanish when you went down there? Not when I went down. Yeah. I took as soon as I found out I was going to Mexico, 
I uh, took a class so I could say hello, goodbye, yeah. but yeah. I learned a lot. <laughs> right. Because nobody down there in some places spoke English. Sure. So you said you were there six months? Yeah. And then you came back and worked for 4-H? Right. I was a 4-H agent for the next two and a half years. Yeah. And what does a 4-H agent do? The 4-H program is recruits volunteers who then works with students. At that time, it was ages 10 to 18. Each student would take one or more projects. It could be anything, and uh, I, this is still true mm-hmm. today. The ages have changed somewhat. But students would take projects, a uh, lot beef cattle, pigs, sheep. They might do a sewing project or cooking project, but there's also things like rocketry, horsemanship. Yeah. They have a fishing, just any project yeah. you want to come up with. And then the student would learn with the help of the advisor about whatever sure. that project is. When did you meet Claudia? First year I was a 4-H agent. One of the things each county does is they have a week of camp. Well, she was the head cook at 4-H camp. Okay. And they figured anybody could make food taste good for 150 kids was worth investigating. Yeah. <laughs> and, and did you start dating after that? or? Yeah, we stated, started dating the first week after camp. Mm-hmm. And how long did you date? A year, about, yeah, about a year. Yeah, and got married in what year? We got married in 69 on the same day Neil Armstrong walked on the moon. Wow, July 11th? July 20th. 20th, thank yeah. you. Thanks. you. Never had any trouble remembering that date for some reason. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and then when did you start your family, shortly thereafter? Or? Uh, it was actually in, I'm trying to think. I was 30 years old, yeah. so I'd been 73. Yeah. Uh, we had twin girls okay. when we were still living in North Carolina at that time. Yeah. And, and then, then how many kids did you have all We told? have four all together. We got the twin girls, and then we had a boy 19 months later and another boy 19 months after that. Okay. And why did you move back to Ohio from North Carolina? Well, I wanted to... Uh, get my doctorate degree by that time. Okay. I, we'd moved to North Carolina originally to get my uh, master's degree okay. and ended up staying. And with the two young kids and her family being from Northeast Ohio, my family from Central Ohio, we wanted to get closer to family. And at, we were talking about it, and at the uh, same time, my father ran into my former principal, yeah. and they were looking for somebody to start this occupational work adjustment mm-hmm. program, which was an experimental program. Yeah. So he contacted me, and I looked into a couple other jobs in the area, but yeah. ended up choosing that one. Yeah. At what point do you think... You stopped wanting to be a farmer, and you knew you were an educator. Never thought about that one before. It was probably, oh, probably after I'd been teaching OWA five or six years. Yeah. I was getting all the farming I wanted to help in Dad. And sure. 
didn't really yeah. want to go into it full time. So, so you came back, you took the job because it got you back here to the right. area, let you get established. You were helping your dad at his farm. Yeah. So I decided that was just more work than I wanted to do anymore. Yeah. yeah. Of the hard physical stuff. <laughs> well, tell me about being a teacher. How... Did, what level did you like to teach, and how, how have kids kind of changed over the course of your career? The I, lowest grade I ever taught was a uh, fifth grade class. And I did teach a couple high school classes, but I kind of got drawn to the seventh, eighth grade level. Those kids were... Vivacious still wanted to learn for the most part. There were a few that didn't. Yeah, They were not a lot of troublemakers. There was always a few. The worst kid would move out of the district and somebody else would take his place always. But that was just a fun age to work with. Somebody once asked me uh, why I wanted to teach that grade. And just off the top of my head as kind of a joke says, well, if it wasn't hard, they wouldn't need me. Yeah. And the more I thought about it, there was more truth in that than joke. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. I thought when I started teaching WA that I could help anybody and everybody. Yeah. And first couple of years, I'm taking students that are failing almost every class. And the first couple of years, I helped everybody to uh, be able to function into a classroom. The third year, I had a student who, while I was on jury duty, I actually took a hot welding rod and burnt the substitute's hand. Mm -hmm. uh, he ended up at Buckeye's Boys Ranch came out of that briefly and went into, did something outside of school, ended up in the juvenile detention center over on, used to be on 23 or mm -hmm. over in that area someplace. He eventually got out of that. He did some, he tried to rob a convenience store. Mm -hmm. uh, got sent to prison for that. Came out and got out of that, and two weeks later, he kidnapped and raped a girl and mm. murdered her. That was a shock to me yeah. in many ways. He wasn't the only one, but he was the worst one, so yeah. to speak. I, couldn't, I can't help everybody. Yeah. You help those that you can, and that was the change I had to make in my thinking, that maybe there are some students I can't help and I got to the point by the end of my 10 years of teaching OWA that if a student and I had conflict, I'd do a home visit and we'd talk it over with the parents. And for his benefit more than mine, yeah. we needed to get him out of there because he was not not going to learn under yeah. me. Yeah. So that was the biggest adjustment I had to make once the computers became available. Yeah. They became more knowledgeable about what was happening. They became more knowledgeable than I about uh, the techie stuff. But basically students didn't change. 
out of a class of 100 to 110, 95% of them were good kids, and they didn't change. That ratio never changed. You'd have one or two who were troublemakers, who would drag three or four of them with them, Mm -hmm. but most of them you could reach. There were a few, like the kid I Mm -hmm. told you about, who you couldn't reach. In all my years of teaching, there were maybe eight or nine Mm -hmm. that were like that. The rest were basically good kids. If you gave them a chance, if you worked with them, tried to meet them on their level, and tried to understand and listen to them. Yeah. 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 So let's talk a little bit about you politically, okay? So we know that you you grew up on a farm. You're here in rural Ohio. I looked at some of your answers here, and it seems like you've always been a conservative. Was that fair? I've been on the conservative side. Yeah. If you look at the continuum of from radical conservative to radical liberalism, Seems to me anybody to the left of a radical conservative is considered a liberal and <laughs> vice versa. Sure. I always considered myself conservative, but closer to the middle point than either extreme. Yeah. My parents were Goldwaterites, so mm-hmm. to speak. They came through the Depression. Always, you know, for years it was make do with what you had. You don't throw anything away because you might need it. Right. No matter if it was worn out. So that that's just a mindset that came with me growing up on a f- poor farm, so sure. to speak. Not sure. extremely poor, but poor enough. Yeah. And the families. So I, I've always considered myself a, a Republican. The conservatism is... Is just part of farm life. Uh, mm-hmm. you, you've got to be conservative, and so you want the government to not w- waste money and yeah. all that type of thing. Yeah, because you're on the farm saving everything, trying to optimize everything. Right. Right. And so you're like, well, this principle should apply to government as well. Right. Yeah. I noticed a few times you would go vote third party. Well, growing up conservative is why I am conservative in part. But over the years, my experience in going to Mexico, I've been to uh, mission trips to Haiti, to Honduras, Tanzania. I've seen how other people live. And our poorest people are rich in comparison. Yeah. That's modified me some. Yeah. My just... Getting an education at the college level always modifies, not always, but usually modifies people somewhat. Because you're rubbing shoulders with not the farm people that grew up with, but people from all over the world at Ohio State. Yeah, I've sat in classes with Chinese and Europeans, Latin Americans, even one Aussie. Yeah. So... That experience modifies you. And then if you are truly believe in Christianity and follow its precepts, 
that too will modify your, yeah. you know, not looking out for yourself. You need to help take care of your brother type idea. So there's been times when as I looked at the candidates, there wasn't either one of the major party that I could vote for. Yeah. Or there was somebody in a third party that came closer to my ideals than either one of the major candidates. So it's been those two things. Either I couldn't vote for a major one or there was something about the third party candidate yeah. that I like. Yeah. Yeah, we, we talked to a political science professor and she told me people in Ohio when they choose a president, it's different than any other kind of election. It's more they're thinking of who's the person that can do this job well, more so than a, a pure party affiliation. Mm -hmm. Do you think that's so? It is with me. Yeah. I've come close to voting for Democrats, but haven't yet. Sure. <laughs> as far as president, I vote for Democrats in other jobs. I try to apply that principle to every political job. Yeah. What kind of job is he going to do? Not if he's a Republican or Democrat. Yeah. A lot of people in this area, though, are pure, simple Republicans, conservative, more on conservative than I am. Yeah. So. Yeah. How about the last election in 2016? Did you not like either candidate in that election? I did not like either candidate. Yeah. The... Democratic Hillary, she want, she's just too liberal for me. Mm -hmm. uh, even though politically spectrum, she's probably closer to the middle than she is the far right. But right. I have a belief about abortion that I don't know when a child becomes viable in a personality. Right. But nobody does. People on both sides pick out the spot that they think is their spot and argue from that. But if you're a true Christian, you cannot accept murder. Mm -hmm. That's one of the Ten Commandments. So if that the only safe spot for me in the abortion issue then is conception because... I don't know when it becomes live, so yeah. that's that's yeah. the safe spot. Sure. And she, that's just one of the liberal issues that right. she promotes, right. so I couldn't go that way. Trump, as I watched him during the election, he would tell lies, he would tell half-truths, he would belittle people. And when he said, he was asked the question who he's going to rely on, me, myself. Mm, yeah. And the government's too big and too much international that he cannot be expert in every area. And that statement really bothered me. Yeah. So I could not support him either. As I looked at all the other candidates, the Green Party and Libertarians... There's really none of them I can support either. Yeah. But I finally chose one because I think it's my obligation to vote for sure. one. Sure. Who did you vote for? Do you mind telling me? I don't remember. Okay. <laughs> Honestly, I would tell you if I yeah. remembered, but uh, I don't. What do you think of the job 
President Trump has done. I agree with most of what he's tried to do. My disagreement with him is I don't like the way he's gone about it. Mm -hmm. uh, take the immigration policy, for example. Building a wall is treating the symptom. Mm -hmm. It's not treating the problem, which is why are there people wanting to come here? Right. So until you address the problem, you haven't really solved it. Economics, it was great that we got that financial boost, but we'd been gaining ever since the last recession under um, Bush and then Obama. Mm -hmm. It had been a slow, steady climb. Yeah. Suddenly we get this big boost. I've had enough economics to know that the slow, steady is better than a big boost because then you're setting yourself up for a fall. For a fall, yeah. This recent abandonment of the Kurds. Do we need to get out of Syria? Yes. Sudden withdrawal? I don't think so. Yeah. I, I think, you know, and again, he's maybe he's smarter than I am. I don't know, but yeah. I just haven't liked his policies. Yeah how he's carried them out. Liked what he's tried to do, yeah. but not the way he's doing them. Yeah. Do you think that's a pretty common feeling? Yes and no. Uh, a lot of my friends feel the same way, mm -hmm. but there are people in this community where he can do no wrong. Yeah, yeah. So are you, are you considering him for the next election? No. No, okay. <laughs> And most of the people of the Democratic Party I've already eliminated, too. Sure. There's some out there that's a possibility. But. Yeah. So you've lived in Ohio 72 out of your 76 years. Right. right. Long time. So what would you say to someone who's not from Ohio, like, this is what you need to understand about our state? Ohio, in many ways, is a representative of the nation as a whole. Yeah. We're a melting pot. And so you get the full range of ideas. Because we are of a melting pot, companies come here and do their test marketing. Because we're a melting pot, political parties come here and do their test marketing. Yeah. So we get a lot of influence marketing from both parties. My telephone doesn't stop ringing from probably next March yeah. on yeah. until the last day of the election. We get ads after ads after ads in the mail. We get campaign posters yeah. Up and down the road, not every house, but lots of houses have them out. Yeah. When I lived in North Carolina, we didn't see that. So last question I wanted to ask you about your son. You told me you're taking your son to all the Major League Baseball stadiums. Okay. And tell me about that. Well, my son was born with cerebral palsy. As I understand it, his messages go from his brain to his muscles, but mm -hmm. somewhere along it gets scrambled so he has limited control of yeah. his muscles, which in the tongues of muscles, so speech is limited. 
Cognitive abilities are there, but have never developed to fullest potential because of all the extra extraneous. He's in a wheelchair. Yeah. He's a sports fan, and he likes to attend live events, much yeah. more so than watching them on t- TV. Yeah. My oldest son lived in San Francisco for a while, and out to visit him one time, they took us to see the San Francisco Giants, and we bought a baseball hat. And the next year, we went to see the the A's. Yeah, and bought another baseball hat. So he asked me one day. He says, "Dad, I want to buy a hat." Okay. I want a baseball hat. Okay. I want one from every team. Mm-hmm. I was thinking birthday presents, Christmas yeah. presents for years. I'll buy the hat. Even better. I want to buy the hat at the stadium. Mm. So ever since, we've been trying to get to one or two stadiums a year yeah. so he can buy his baseball hat. Yeah, We haven't made every year. Sometimes it's only one, sometimes two or three, yeah. but... We've got 23 out of the 30 hats. Wow. And is there a favorite stadium that you visited? Well, in many ways, surprisingly, New York Yankees was a, was yeah. a favorite. It's his team. And it was, I don't know, it had only been in at two or three, the new stadium, yeah. two or three years. We took the train in. And we could get off the train and walk to the stadium. We were met by ushers as soon as we got there and escorted in and out. And it was just a delightful experience. There's been other good ones. St. Louis was a good one the same way. Minnesota Twins, where we actually drove in and parked, was probably the best. Once we got there, we walked out of the... um, parking garage into the stadium wow yeah and then you drove out onto the freeway that that was the easiest one yeah yeah so uh game seven of the world series is tonight the nationals against the astros do you have a prediction no no okay (laughs) okay excellent good job i think we're done that was that was great thank you so much Once again, my thanks to Joe Warner for his time. And remember, everyone, if you haven't voted yet, please make a plan and get out and vote. We are at T minus six days until the election. And we have at least one and maybe two more episodes coming your way before then. So stay tuned to This is Ohio 2020, wherever you get your podcasts. On behalf of the all-volunteer crew of This is Ohio 2020, I'm Pete Brown saying good times and get out and vote. This is Ohio 2020 is a podcast and documentary film project produced by Blue Monkey Communications, written and directed by me, Pete Brown, with production and post-production ably handled by Kevin Davison of Twittering Machine Productions. If you're enjoying the show, please consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Tell a friend or two about us. Post about us on social media. Music and sound effects in today's show may come from the websites freesound.org, incompetech.com, or podcastmusic.com, and in general is licensed under Creative Commons 3.0. Additional music and interstitials by Brian Hake and Kevin Davison. Until next time, I'm Pete Brown for This is Ohio 2020, wishing you and yours good times.